0: I have four copies of the, the new notes. So if you have, if you were here last Sunday and you got your notes. Um, if you weren't, raise your hand. We'll give you, right. give you some new notes. them in the sun. And we got one more here. Beth, so if anybody comes yes. in and wants to make Front and back copy of that. I try to keep these two to one physical page, sometimes just the front of the page if I can do it. But uh, there's so much going on in this passage. Uh, it's relatively short, what, five verses, I guess, there. Uh, John 8 31
1: through
0: 36. Uh, wow. Very timely this morning too, uh, Diana. Thank you so much for what you said there. And for your honesty, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, we're we're you're struggling with Aaron, and we're struggling with the girls. And, uh, this trip we have is bittersweet, and um, you know, it's it's uh, we had fun with them, and yet we see just how far they are right now from the word, and it hurts. Let me tell you, it really hurts. And you do, you, you wonder, where did, we, where did we go wrong? You know, what did we do wrong? You know, did we, you know, and you, you think and rehearse and pray and it's like, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, there's a, Scripture has a lot to say about that, like Rick said, and, and a lot of promises that we hold on to. And, uh, but, you know, when we come to church, needs to not, you've heard this, and it, it's there's true. Churches should not be a museum for saints, right, but but a hospital for sinners. Not, I think post-Christ, you know, we, we, he, part of the transformation is not that this is actually what we're looking at here. We go from slaves to sons. But, but part of that, too, is, is we go from sinners to saints, right? So we're not sinners so much anymore saved by grace in one sense, but we still are. You know, we still struggle. And, and even if it's not in your own life you're in a world that's touched by sin greatly you know and there's so many people around us we we're praying as we are coming in this morning thinking about our co-workers and our, and our family members and all these people that you that you love you have a heart for and they're just as far from christ as they can be you know and it hurts it hurts and it uh, so this needs to be a place where we can be honest you know it's not a sales pitch we're not here to say you know, um, hey, look at all this great stuff that happened in my, you know, uh, some, some churches you go through, go to feels like a pep rally all the time. And and there's a sense in which, you know, we should encourage and and strengthen each other. And yet there's a sense in which we need to be honest and and say, hey, I'm failing in this area, or my family's struggling in this area, or my, I have a, a, a dear friend, you know, that I've known for decades and whatever, going through a divorce or cancer or something, and, you know, just a place where we can be honest with each other, each other, encourage each other. God knows what he's doing in telling us to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. We need it. Thank you for that. It's very good. Not coincidentally, we're going to, uh, Lord willing here, in a few minutes, and, and we're trying to stay on time, right? Uh, trying to keep us moving. And uh, <clears throat> so I got my alarm here, but we—I want to look at the second part of the notes here this morning, which we didn't get to first time. Uh, abide in the Gospel of John, and that word touches on what you've been saying uh, here this morning, and it's another one of the the aspects of Scripture that helps us. In these times in which we, uh, you almost emotionally feel like um, you don't really know what to say, even in your prayers. You've been there, and it's like, I, I can't even get the words out. There. And I don't know what's going on and why. You maybe you could start relating a lot to Job. You know, I feel like a mini bee sometimes Job, <laughs> Job here lately. Um, there's a lot of things that go on in God's grand plan. Our little lives are just an infinitesimal like a like a, sand, a, grain of, a grain of sand at the beach you know um, compared to all that God has in his plan and all the details that he's working out and pulling together um, but Jesus gives us some clues here um, he's talking to some of the Jews who believe in him and um, three times uh, I made a mistake on your notes we'll talk about that here in a minute but three times in this passage, this word uh, in the Greek is translated abide, remain. Um, let's see, abide, remain, stay, stayed, dwells. Okay. Um, I've got an extra set of notes right here. Too big. Um, but, but that word, we want to look at that this morning. Because it, it I think will encourage encourage us maybe in an unexpected way this morning okay so let's let's pray and we'll get into text heavenly father thank you for this opportunity to open your word because it's here that we we see the truth and the light and that truth If we not just see it, but believe it and abide in it, it will set us free. We thank you for that. We thank you that you bothered to not just love us from a distance or feel sorry for us or even just to be indifferent or or worse yet to to allow your hatred of our sinful condition to have its way Uh, You would be perfectly just in in condemning all of us to eternal separation from your presence and destruction. But in this marvelous plan, which is not only uh, amazing to us, but also to the angels, you have undertaken to become a member of our race and have taken action, specific, direct action, in your love for lost children. And you have spared no expense to bring this to yourself. And then you have opened uh, the, our eyes to your word. And, and we have texts like the one in front of us which encourages us to stay there, to abide, and to not lose heart. To not wander away or to maybe out of bitterness or anger or fear to look somewhere else. But rather like Peter at the end of chapter 6 to say, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of life. So help us in our struggles, our weaknesses, as Paul said. Therefore, I'll boast all the more of my weaknesses. That the power of Christ may dwell in me." Pray for your blessing now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, quick, quick, quick synopsis of where we are. Okay, we're in chapter eight, about about the middle point of chapter eight. Here, Um, we have some really really potent stuff coming up. (laughs) The heat is is increasing, Um, but chapter eight is part of this segment of John that begins in chapter seven and goes to the end of chapter ten. All right, Uh, in which this is all happening against the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles. Right, I just want to remind us of that. You know, we've, we've looked at length at the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, this is, this is the fall of the year before the spring, next spring, Jesus will be crucified. Okay? So keep that in mind. This is, this is nearing the end of his public ministry. Okay? And he comes to the feast. Remember, he didn't come with his family because he knew that the Jewish leaders were looking to kill him. He came later, about the middle point of the feast, and he comes into the temple and he's teaching. And chapter 7 kind of gives us a little bit of sort of just the general mood of, of how the crowd is responding to him. And there's, there's basically three responses. There's uh, people who are steadfastly against him and have been against him, primarily the leaders, right? And then there are people who are believing in him and, and oh, this is the Christ. You know, nobody can do the miracles he's doing, right? And then you kind of have a lot of people that are somewhere in the middle, you know. And John kind of paints that picture for us. And, and Jesus has some things to say in chapter seven, but it's 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 kind of like a summary of of kind of where things are at the as he's nearing the end of his public ministry. It's about two and a half years of public ministry. Chapter seven gives you kind of that overall flavor of where the nation is and where things are at that point. Then we come back to chapters 8, 9, and 10. And and these chapters fold kind of fold back over on top of chapter 7. So 7 is almost like the timeline, kind of, more or less. And then 8, 9, and 10 fold back over and give us, kind of zoom in on some some specific conversations he has with the Jews, which is what's happening here. Chapter 9 is the healing of the man born blind. And what happens with that? Okay, and then chapter 9... Really bleeds over into chapter ten, in which Jesus uses that healing to then talk about himself as being the door for the sheep and the good shepherd. Okay, And man, I'm telling you what that that those two metaphors, uh, as I've been re- visiting them, uh, are such a comfort you know, in times when you're really struggling as believers to think of him as our good shepherd. That he is. He isn't just saying, "I'll see you on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death." I am with you through that. Right as you're going through that struggle, He promises to be there, whether you feel it or not. All right, so that's where we are, and so we're in chapter eight here. We've been they've been questioning His His, his um, veracity as the heavenly witness. He's been claiming to be the one coming from the Father, and this is very important because He's. It, this is one of the I am statements beginning in, in, in verse 12, chapter 8. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <clears throat> and, and, and that idea of following me is very, very important for where we are now because we talk about abiding in Christ, and that word appears 33 times in the Gospel of John. Okay, It only appears, now get this, 11 times in all the other Gospels combined so that word abide that we're going to look at is extremely important for this gospel but as jesus opens this section here in 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 chapter 8 really opens chapter 8 with verse 12 i am the light where whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life you can even hear in that this idea that following jesus is not a one-time thing that happens at at a church meeting or a revival or, you know, on the radio, you hear some preacher and they say, pray the sinner's prayer. If you pray this after me, sign the date in the back of your Bible because now you're a Christian,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, I- I'm here to tell you that's not biblical. And Jesus, actually, I'm not here to tell you that. Jesus is going to tell us that. Okay? Because this idea of, of walking in walking is, is a metaphor for, living your life just as you if i'm gonna walk over there i'm not just suddenly there in one step right i have to take a step and each step i take is a decision that i make to put the next foot forward to arrive at a destination and that's a very apt metaphor that scripture uses for our life because we live one moment at a time and you live one decision at a time right and so what jesus is saying here is whoever follows me will not walk will not live in darkness which means that following has to continue right it has to continue you can't just say oh there's jesus and he's where's he going right we've already seen in chapter seven where i'm going you cannot come right well where are you going we're going to see that again These disciples are going to wrestle with that coming up in chapter 14. where i'm going away and where i'm going as i told the jews you cannot come and they're really distraught where are you going? We don't, how can we go if we don't? Have, he says, you'll come later. How can we go? I am the way, the truth and the life. I'm going, I came from the Father, and I'm going back to the Father, right? And I'm going back to prepare a place for you. And it would be stupid if I went to prepare a place for you but never came to get you, right? So I am, but what he's saying is, following me doesn't just mean, okay, I want to go to heaven. Jesus is in heaven. He came from heaven. He, he came as the witness and as a sacrifice, and then he returned back. And so now I want to get there, so I'm going, to, I'm going to follow for a couple steps, then I'm going to go over here this other direction. See what I'm saying? Even, even at the beginning of all of this, we have this idea very strongly in the gospel that following Jesus is a permanent, lifelong commitment that doesn't change. And if it does change, as as the writer of this gospel tells us in his first epistle, they went out from us because they were what? None of us. If you stop following Jesus for a little while, a few years, and then later you're distracted and you go off. And maybe you still hold some respect for Jesus in some form or fashion, but you're not really walking with him step by step, day by day, decision by decision. And when you when you fail. Repenting and coming back, right? The same epistle earlier, he says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful. If you're not if you're not doing that, you're not a disciple, no matter what you say. It's important. It's so important. Okay, so this is all background. Um, he's argued with the Jews about where he is from, where he's going, and the power of his, the veracity of his witness. Remember that too. It has to be established. That what he is telling them is trustworthy. Now, he's been establishing this for a long time. The witness, back in chapter 5, he told them, he gave them four other witnesses, right? My father witnesses the works that I do, John the Baptist, and the scriptures all witnessed about him, okay? But here again, they're, they're back to, this is unbelief, by the way. Unbelief is never satisfied with the evidence. You can present evidence to your blue in the face. It keeps coming back to the same problem again and again. Why? Because it doesn't want to move forward. It doesn't want what you say or what Jesus or God is saying to be true. So it keeps coming back to the same. So they keep coming back to the same thing. Ah, You bore witness to yourself. You can't. Your witness is true. And he says, no, my father also witnesses to this. And the two of us together satisfy this Requirement in the law that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, those are factually established. Okay, so much there. I don't want to reiterate all that I think you guys remember. So, this is the context that we are in, and so then in verse, uh, let's read verses 31 through 36. We finished last time with reading this, and then I I want to go back just quickly touch on slavery. So there's two main ideas in our text, okay? The first is slavery. That's the first part of your notes there, right? You see that on your notes where it says, from slaves of sin to sons of God. So we talked about slavery last time, right? We'll, we'll touch on that again. The next part, which we want to touch on today, is that abiding, that idea of abiding, okay? So two main, main doctrines that come out of this text. John 8, 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free they answered him we are offspring of abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how can how is it you say you will become free jesus answered them truly truly i say to you Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. All right, so the first major concept here that we talked about last time is slavery, right? And... And that's on your notes there. Just briefly, we ha- we we kind of struggle a little bit in understanding this text because our our view of history and our space and time, our culture today, you know, what May thirtieth, two thousand twenty-one, to get that right. right? Uh, uh, our understanding of this institution of slavery has been largely colored by, no, by the African slave trade of the past couple of centuries, right, mm-hmm. 1700s, 1800s, and that's unfortunate because in the grander history of the human race, this institution is much, much older than that, and that is that period of, his, of history. Um, is, is one of the worst examples of the abuse of this concept of slavery, all right? So as we look at a larger picture, and that's what I'm trying to do on those on the notes there in a few paragraphs, is to help us understand in the larger suite of history, slavery has uh, in, in terms of its intention. Now, this is not to say that all slavery in the past, except for our you know, African slave trade, was fantastic and wonderful. No, that's not, don't hear me saying that, okay? Well, what I'm saying is that you got to understand that for the vast majority of thousands of years of human history, there have not been banks and credit cards and bankruptcy laws like we understand it today. However, there has been from the beginning problems of homelessness and destitution and people who simply cannot meet even their basic needs that has always been there okay so the institution of slavery as a whole was intended to help meet those needs that people have and it did it through what we understand today as a credit system where if you have a a person or a family maybe for whatever reason they're destitute they cannot meet their basic needs maybe their debts are greater than whatever okay then you have other people who have more than they need okay so an arrangement is made where the people who don't have enough work for the people who do have more than they need and it's a fair exchange for the most part okay again have there been abuses of this absolutely okay absolutely even in rome and the time of the romans there were some very serious abuses okay of it Uh, which extended not just to slaves, by the way, too, but a man, a, a freedman, in Roman society around the time of the New Testament uh, had total say over his own kids, too. If a daughter was born into a house, for example, father's outside, the wife's giving birth, they bring the, the baby out, they don't know what, it, they can't tell the gender till the baby's born, right? So they don't know till the baby's born. And if the father says, ah, I don't want a daughter, she gets tossed out. And he'd be perfectly in his rights to do it. Okay, so yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that all cultures have treated this right. You know, and by the way, it hasn't. This this abuse of other people <clears throat> who are under your authority or who who are maybe dependent on you in some ways and limited. It, it's slavery either it could have been your own offspring, right? So so yes. So the touch of sin turned this institution, which was intended to help. Uh, make life better in a sin-cursed world can turn can and did often turn it into an institution of abuse and that's certainly true with <clears> the slave trade as we understand it from our own history right but what i want us to see is when jesus is talking about slavery in this in this text what he has in mind is this idea of a debt okay and so a very important statement is made in the middle of your notes there um and, and I really not to pat myself on the back, but you know, even a blind nut finds a squirrel once in a while. <laughs> the last paragraph there, <clears throat> about the middle of it, there's a statement that really summarizes this, I think, very well. The difference is that the slave owes the house, but a son owns the house. When Jesus in these in this text lays Side by side, the role of the slave with the role of the son. And we're going to see that more as we get into it. But what he's driving at is the difference, not in the fact that they are both human. They are human. And so before God, they had, there's an equality there. Okay, But the difference is in their relationship to the house. A slave owes the house. You owe something. If that debt is paid off, That's what Jesus means when he says that the slave doesn't abide forever. If you pay that debt off, you're free to go, and you can now leave the house and go do your own thing. But the son has a very different relationship to the house where he effectively inherits the house. He is the heir in waiting, so to speak, that when the father would die, the inheritance would go to the son or to the children, right? The offspring is the idea. A very different relationship. They're both in the house together. They're both working together for this landlord, so to speak. Okay, uh, and, and, and in relationship to him, but there's a very different relationship there. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the, so that's the background that we looked at last time in terms of slavery and understanding it in, in the way Jesus is intending it and his audience understood it at this time. Okay? The second thing which we want to look at now. Is there on your notes? Starts at the very bottom of page one, the, the first page, right? Maybe the first side of the page, <laughs> front side. Let's put that way, the front side. Now let's read that. The Greek word, often translated "abide," is also translated. I try to condense this down. I hope I hope it's clear. It's also, in, in, our, in the English translations I looked at it, it can also be translated with these following words. Remain, remained, remaining, remains, stay, stayed, staying, endures, continue, dwells. Those are the big ones I found, but there's some others, okay? Again, depending on translation. But all of these words in our English translations are coming from this same one Greek word. And it's, it probably is most recognizable by the word abide. Okay, so that's the one I want to use the most. This word is found 33 times in John, like I said a minute ago. Far more than the 11 total occurrences found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three times more, in fact, right? Think about that. You know, as we've often said, repetition is therefore... <clears throat> repetition, come on, is attention. therefore... Bring attention. Yeah, focus. emphasis, right, focus, attention, right? Yeah, whoa, <laughs> hello, bye right? Are you waking? Are you awake? Yeah, okay. Uh, clearly, this is an important word in John's account of Jesus' life. Here are the places found. Now, so on the back side of your notes, the back page, um, and it took me a while to compile all this. I, I, I had it, but... The cut and paste and everything. And I found a mistake this morning in going back through this, <laughs> right in our own text, in fact. So in the new notes, which you don't have, <laughs> uh, John 8.31 should be inserted in there and you can just maybe a little marginal note between 7, nine and 8.35. Okay. So verse 31 says, if you abide in my words, you're true my right disciples. Okay. That's that same word everybody with me yeah. okay. any questions am I not clear tell me don't be embarrassed say Pete you ramb- rambling okay. I may be rambling anyway but hopefully that's great all right so what I want to do is I want to I'm gonna go through this just just briefly this morning and let's just look at how this word is used in the in the gospel of John now some of these are sort of condensed forms where I'm, where I'm just just like giving you in a, in a couple of my own sentences what's being said there and how it's being used others are just verbatim quotes right out of the text because they explain themselves okay so the first one is is like that this is this is one of my uh, synopsis sort of summary paraphrase of what's being said in chapter one it appeared this word translated abide or continue or stay is appears in four verses 32 33 38 and 39. And this is the account of the baptism of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit is said to remain, and that's that word, upon him. Following this, are John himself and Andrew who asked Jesus where he is staying. Same word. Okay. So get this. The Holy Spirit comes. Now, this is cool. This word again, if this word means coming and going, then you'd have to say that the Holy Spirit came and went on Jesus during his earthly ministry. And you've got a real problem because he keeps, Paul makes clear that when he came, this is in uh, Philippians 2, right? Have his mind you, is also in Christ Jesus. Setting aside his godhood, he became a servant and went to obedient even to death on the cross, right? He set aside his his obligations, his privileges and his power as God emptied himself of that and, and then came in obedience to the Father so that he would, he says constantly, the things I do, the things I say are from the Father, right, all the time. did not come do my own will, but will him who sent me. And how does he do that? He is energized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus never did any miracles in his own power. He did everything he did on behalf of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Very important you understand that, okay? So he set it aside. So if this word abide or remain can mean that to come and to go back and forth, like a disciple, quote-unquote, of Jesus who kind of is with Jesus for a little while and then kind of drifts away and then it comes back, that's not the idea. Okay, we got a problem because then we'd have to say the Holy Spirit kind of came and went with Jesus throughout his ministry, and that's not what this word means. It means he came at the baptism of John and st- with Jesus. Okay, let's go on. Chapter 2, verse 12. After this first sign of turning the water to wine and telling his mother and that his ministry is now his priority, here's the word, Jesus stayed with his family and disciples for a few days in Capernaum. I love that little scene. We looked at that way back when. You may remember. It's a really precious scene. It's something that we don't think a lot about, but here's Jesus. On the cusp of his ministry he's been baptized all spirits come he's been tempted tested in the wilderness he came right back to where john was baptizing right after that will they're looking at that in mark right and then and then um he gets a few disciples then uh notably john and andrew may very well have been his first disciples uh the ones that come seems to be that way from what i can tell i'm not dogmatic about it could be wrong anyway so, so he begins, he begins to start accumulating some of his core disciples at this point. He doesn't have them all yet, but he has a, a, a good bit of them. But he's remember, thirty years or so, his father is almost certainly dead by this point, right? So he's been the head provider in the home, and here's his mom, and his he's got four other brothers and some sisters. But Jesus is going to have to transition out of that lead. Uh, of the home and providing for for them to this ministry and jesus at, at the at the he gave his first sign john tells us that the very first public miracle first miracle jesus did at all was turning the water to wine at the behest of his mother right and uh, you, you all remember that i hope you do i, I can't preach the next hour that, but the point is woman what does this have to do with me it's not it's he's it, it sounds curt and rude in our text, but really it's, a, it's her term of respect. But what he's basically saying to her is, I must be about my father's business. But he doesn't just like say, forget it. I'm taking my disciples and we're gone. You're on your own, Mary. You know, you've got four other sons, put them to work. He didn't say that. He comes and this is what's in our, our text here, uh, 12, 2, uh, 12, that he came and stayed. He abode for a while. He stayed with them several days in Capernaum to help ease that transition. That's, that's a sweet and tender thing that he did. Okay, Let's move on. Uh, 3.36, this is an important one. <clears throat> Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, here's our word, remains on him. Which means it was already there and it will continue. This word does not mean to ebb and flow. It means to come and stay, right? The Spirit came and stayed. Uh, When Jesus was with his family, he stayed. He didn't come and go during that period of time. He was there the whole time. He was accessible. And here, the wrath of God remains and stays persisting on anyone who is not Okay. Let's move on. Chapter 4, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to... Stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Used twice in the same verse. Verse five, uh, chapter five, verse thirty-eight. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Same concept. The word of God is not abiding with these professionals, these religious professionals. 6, verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On um, Him, the Father, God the Father has set His seal, which, by the way, I believe means the Holy Spirit. Near the end of that, chapter 6, 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what? Abides in me. Oh. So, tonight, we celebrate communion, which is a symbolic picture of this truth of eating and drinking his flesh. You don't come to Jesus for a taste. You come for meal after meal after meal. See? It's abiding. It's abiding. You you constantly come back to the source of this life and the provision. And by the way, he doesn't say, uh, me plus right it doesn't say come in a, and, and, and eat drink my eat my flesh drink my blood plus somebody else or something else the sufficiency is there in him right and the disciple the one who's following him the one who's walking in light and abiding in the light and and who's the wrath of God is no longer abiding on him okay? is the one who continues to do this, to feed on him. Chapter 7, verse 9. Jesus resists traveling with his family to Jerusalem for tabernacles. Right? We talked about that a second ago. Then after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Same word. Now, our text, right? So 831. uh, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then a a few verses later in, in, in verse 35. He says twice now. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Okay? Um, the rest of these you can read on your own. Um, your guilt remains. There he remained. Um, chapter 11, before, both before and after the raising of Lazarus, Jesus stayed where he was with his disciples. Uh, so, it, it doesn't have to necessarily always mean a spiritual thing, is what I'm saying. But it does mean to just stay put for a while. Okay? That's why sometimes, like in, in verse 35, it says, it uses the word twice, but for the slave, the slave is, is abiding or remaining for a short period of time, whereas the son, it's a, the, the abiding, the staying lasts forever. See? Okay? So, it, it does have to be qualified. By a period of time, you know, like when he stayed with his, again, in the transition of of his ministry, he didn't stay forever in Capernaum with his mother and his disciples, right? He was there for a period of time. During that period of time, he stayed where he put, but then after it was over, he left. So so, so the, the word abide itself does not have inherent in it a length of time. It's just the idea of sticking around for a period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continue. Uh, chapters, chapter 12 has uh, uh, two verses. Uh, Unless a grain of wheat falls off the earth, it remains alone. And then verse 34, that's verse 24. Verse 34, Crowd answer him, we have heard from the lot that Christ will remain forever. How can you say the Son will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And when we get there, uh, we'll look more at that. Let's see.
1: I'm
0: not beating that one be to. Okay. All right. Um, the, uh, I'm sorry, there's one more. So I just have these highlighted and we'll go through these real quick. Uh, chapter, chapter 12, verse 46. Okay. Jesus, in his final statement, to sum up his public ministry, says, I have come into the into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not what remain in darkness same thing he said in chapter eight verse one or verse 12 right i'm the light of the world he follows me will not remain in darkness okay so so which which implies we're beginning to hear a theology come out of this huh? <clears throat> you're born into this world the, the wrath of god remains on you and you are remaining in darkness you you're dwelling there you dwell under god's wrath in darkness in deception right but Jesus has come as a light, and those who follow him, follow him out and continue to follow him and remain in him and continue to feed off of him and continue to, to see the truth that he is exposing as he uh, speaks to us as the heavenly witness from the Father, right? And, and it's it's in those words, as Peter said, I said in my prayer, To whom will we go? You alone, alone have the words of life, right? So it's, it's where are you dwelling? This is contrast. Um, chapter 14, verse 10. <clears throat> do you not believe that I am the, in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father hears the word, who dwells in me, does his works. Okay. Ah. So not only have we discovered that the Spirit came and dwelt and remained with him, but now the Father also didn't come and go and ebb and flow during Jesus. Both of them are side by side working with Jesus the whole time. So, all three persons of the Godhead were involved in his ministry. We shouldn't be surprised, but there it is. Okay? Look at uh, chapter fourteen, seventeen. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the Word... The world cannot receive, because neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Wow. We already know this from Romans 8, right? He does not have the Spirit of Christ. He does not belong to Christ. We know that the the Holy Spirit comes and remains with believers, but here's another text that says exactly that. Okay. Uh, by the way, Jesus is going to introduce his disciples to the Holy Spirit. And basically what he's telling them is, as the Father commissioned me and empowered me through the Holy Spirit, so now I'm going to commission you until you return to where I'm going to bring you to heaven. Right? In the meantime, you're going to be my witnesses. I was the light of the world, now you were the light of the world. And by the same token, just like I fully obeyed the Father, as obedient children obey me. And I will empower you by the same power I have so that you can do the will of the Father for you just like I did the will of the Father for me through the same Holy Spirit who not only abode with me, abides with with me, but now will abide with you. See that? Very important word, isn't it? That's uh, 1417. Now 1425. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Jesus was with them too. N-A-S-B. All right, then. Wow. Does the word abide appear? And When you hear the word abide, your brain, if you've been Sunday school any length of time, should go to John 15, right? Abide of the branches. Any branch that abides in me will bear fruit, right? Abide, 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 abide. You see that there? Uh, Verse 4, verse 6, verse 7. Uh, verse 9 10 and 16 all have that the famous vine in the branches passage contains the most references to this word in one chapter jesus's message is that coming to him for salvation is not a one-time event but something that a true disciple does for the rest of his or her life if you have any doubt at all about the interpretation of that word abide as it relates to your discipleship to Jesus being a permanent thing, John 15 should put that to rest for good. Unless you don't want to believe what is actually said there. You can't weasel out of that. It is so clear if you want to to, uh, um, produce fruit for the glory of God, you must abide in Jesus. You can do nothing on your own, right? Just like a branch, you cut a branch off. I have um, some new landscaping, and uh, we're we're just hovering over that like hand over baby chicks, you know, going out there weeding every day, you know, uh, just watching. Oh, there's a new flower in that bush. Oh, you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of ridiculous. But, you know, anyway, we're, we're enjoying it. And the other day, I noticed uh, one of a couple of our, our new bushes have started this to sprout and starting to put some new greenery out you know and grow growing this as they you know trees and bushes often do in the spring right you see the fresh growth and, grow. and, and one of these they're little bitty bushes that you guys saw some of them uh, anyway little bitty bush about this big like size of a beach ball and for whatever reason it decided to send this one shoot up that was like you know like this long and and the rest of it, it's it kind of got some other growth out here but it's within control and that bothered me for several days. I'm like, I gotta cut that thing. Off. It just doesn't look right, you know. So I went out there the other day, snipped it off with some scissors. And and I know that as soon as I do that, what's going to happen to that little branch?
1: It's going to die.
0: Okay. But I do that, and that's the exact illustration he's using in in 15, right? I have severed that branch from the source of its life, and it's not going to do go anywhere. anywhere. Which my prerogative is the gardener, which is also in John 15 the prerogative of the Father who cuts off from me any branch that doesn't do the Father's the, the pruner. What are his shears? I use scissors, he uses the word of God. Two more. 1931. It says a day of preparation so that the body should not remain. That's the word on the cross of Sabbath. The Jews asked Pilate the legs to be broken, right? And then 21, 22, and 23, uh, when Peter asks about John's future, Jesus tells him it's none of his business if he wants John to remain until he comes. Same idea. If I want him to stick around until I return, what is that to you, follow okay. None of your business, Peter. Keep your eyes on me. Okay? All right. I know we're a little past our time, but I, I want to try to get through that. But you know, this is a this is an, a hopefully an encouraging word, and a thank you again, Diana, for your opening. Um, it's amazing how the Lord just works in preparation of these things, and works together, because our listen, our responsibility as we have read through all of this, you can hear where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have done their part. They all. Are available to you and I. God isn't ebbing and flowing in His commitment to you. He doesn't come and go. Now, like I said, it's been an emotional roller coaster for us the last month, particularly with our girls. And I have had to remind myself, especially in those times where it's very dark emotionally and it seems like God is a million miles away, that His Word says otherwise that he has promised to obey. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come and will remain. He won't come and go. Jesus isn't coming and going either on your behalf and neither is the Father, okay? But our responsibility is the same. We also must remain. And so you have to constantly, despite your circumstances, despite your emotions, despite how dark and confusing and like I was listening to the psalm this morning uh, from Rich Mullins, you know, sometimes my life don't make sense at all. So hold me, Jesus, right? And like Peter said, where else will we go? You alone have the words of life. Where else are you going to go? Everybody faces hard times, mm-hmm. cancer and back Sarah, surgery and unbelief and um, all that.
1: Lisa.
0: Everybody faces hard, hey, hard
1: times. I Thank
0: things. God we have a shepherd to run to and to hold to and to abide with and to follow, who promises to be there in the valleys. He didn't say, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. That Psalm, Psalm 23 becomes personal at that point. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is third person. He's talking about the Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Because it's in those times when the shepherd becomes personal and he gives his grace to help you through that time. And you experience a level of intimacy with Him that you never do when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and everything's hunky-dory in your life. Abide, stay. The one and what Jesus is saying here is those who stay with Me are truly My disciples, not those who come and go, especially
1: when the going gets tough. But the one who stays. I like the reassurance when He said that. Uh when he leaves he's gonna leave something with us and that word comforter you know the holy spirit and he calls him the comforter but that's what he does he comforts us during rough times he also comforts us during good times yeah. but I'm saying it's we we never acknowledge that but I just like that word comforter because we know that we Jesus left but he didn't leave us But he left the Holy Spirit here to comfort us okay when he when, they, when he called him the comforter I like that. Rick, would you close some prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, it's been a good lesson this morning and a good reminder. And Lord, we know, we know that you are in total control of each one of our lives, Lord. Even those that are not believers, you have your finger upon them, their destination. I pray, Lord, for each one of our hearts this morning, Lord, that we are um, confessing our sins and that we are having no restriction to you from our sins. Thank you again for the the word abide as we know that you abide with us. You left us with the Holy Spirit that abides in our hearts, the comforter that I like to use. Thank you again for that. Thank you for Pete's study. We thank you for his heart. We pray for the girls. We really do. We've been praying for them for a while pray, Lord, that you just really, really just break that hardness down. Amen. Also, thank you for Aaron and David and Diana. And I appreciate Aaron and Diana, too, this morning, their openness. I pray for that. I pray, Lord, that you'll work mightily in these three lives, Lord, that you'll just have them draw closer to you at this time, If there's someone here, Lord, in our little small group that's having troubles or someone in their family's having trouble. I pray, Lord, that you will just give them the insight, give them scripture, and have the Holy Spirit. Hold their heart and comfort them in this time of need. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.